You're listening to the HSDNA podcast from the Garden State. Your host, Justin Starbird, and guests from HS Design walk you through each step of the medical product development process. Listen in as they discuss topics like contextual research, human factor testing, and conceptualization, giving you the best practices and real examples of success in the field. And now, here's your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back. This is uh, Justin Starbird, and you are on with the HS DNA podcast. Today, I have uh, Michael Quinn from HS Design on with me to talk about a topic that, you know, for a lot of folks, uh, can mean a couple of different things. And so we're here to kind of clear up, you know, what is uh, Six Sigma and how does that apply to uh, design and, and really innovation for HS Design. So with that, uh, Michael, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's um, good to be on with you. Yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a little while now and getting to know you a little bit and, and understanding, you know, the different hats and roles you play within the uh, HS, you know, D community and the culture there. Um, you know, you do wear a lot of hats and have lots of responsibilities. You know, tell me a little bit about how you got your start and, and how you, um, you know, kind of came to understand uh, Six Sigma. We'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, tell us about, uh, you know, uh, how you got started. Sure. Uh, sure. So um, I'm a mechanical engineer by uh, training and practice. Um, so for the last uh, two decades, uh, I've developed products, mostly in the medical device industry, as a mechanical engineer, and uh, progressively taking on more and more responsibility from you know mechanical engineer to senior to uh, program manager. And um, after spending over about a decade um, with Beckton Dickinson, which is a medical device manufacturer, I made the jump over to a, a HS design, um, first as uh, director of engineering, and uh, a few years ago um, made the move to vice president of design and engineering. And um, really, uh, my main role is to oversee the uh, engineers and the designers as we develop products, um, help them grow, help them uh, manage their programs, and occasionally manage a program of my own. Um, the the other hats I wear are um, you know business development and and uh, our in-house quality manager making sure we adhere to our uh, QMS system. Yeah, great. I, uh, you know, it's uh, interesting to hear about the way in which that you approach mechanical engineering and and you know even design from that from that side of things um, and you know to to know you know how you engage with clients and. And help them move, you know, from conception to, you know, design to, you know, commercialization. And, uh, you know, that's that's always been really fascinating to me. One of your expertise, you know, is is Six Sigma. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that and what that uh, what how'd you you know become certified in that? Sure. Um, well, Six Sigma means different things. To- to different people depending on where they are in the product life cycle, right? Um, it'll mean something very different to someone in the very start of a program and, and conceptualizing a product versus the manufacturing side. And in fact, uh, Six Sigma is a term um, that was really brought to the fore by, by Motorola um, as, a, as a methodology of achieving a very high level of quality in their manufacturing process. So for a very long time, uh, Six Sigma and Six Sigma certification was really toward the quality end in manufacturing. 
finding manufacturing issues, digging down to the root cause, and fixing them, fixing the root cause of the issues. You know, it sounds pretty pretty straightforward, but um, there's a whole set of tools that the the quality personnel would would throw at the at the um, uh, problem at hand. Um, so that's that's sort of the traditional Six Sigma approach. But while I was at Peckton Dickinson, um, we had an opportunity within our our uh, business unit to start learning an extension of that process, which is called Design for Six Sigma. And uh, what it does is it takes the mentality of the traditional end quality system for manufacturing and says, well, if we could predict what issues we're going to have going forward into a project, we can head off a lot of these. We can, mm -hmm. we can quantify them. We can look at them from a scientific basis and put our design efforts where they really need to be so that by the time it hits manufacturing, it's a much more robust system. And uh, I, I was sent to three weeks of, of very intense training. Um, in the uh, traditional world, it would be considered black belt training for Six Sigma. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, got, the, uh, got the training certification uh, and proceeded to teach it within uh, my business unit at Beckton Dickinson. Uh, this is before, of course, coming to HS Design and bringing that approach uh, with me. Mm -hmm. So today, <clears throat> as you, you know, move forward and engage new clients, you know, how do you help them understand what design for Six Sigma is? You know, because people may not necessarily take a, let's say, a scientific approach to design. It's more esoteric, if you will. And, and you know, people are thinking about, you know, it should look pretty or it's not, it, or it, I guess now there's more uh, more thoughts in, around it being you know uh, ergonomic or you know have specific elements to it. But for a long time that wasn't the case. So how did that? How did you help uh, shift that in the market? And, and how do you help uh, clients understand that? Sure. Um, the the first thing we have to teach our clients about the Six Sigma approach is um, that it's not a an addition to their program. And, and that's always a fear when we bring up uh, Six Sigma methodologies. If anyone knows what they are on the traditional sense, they know they can be very costly, they can be very time consuming, and they're usually applied to a problem, not in product development. Um, so what we, we do is we, first we take a gentle approach. We don't hit them over the head with we're doing Six Sigma. Um, we, we explain to them that it's the mentality of Six Sigma. It's the mentality of you want a robust product to come out at the end of the product development cycle, and that includes ramp up for manufacturing. Um, and we look at what they're really trying to achieve. And if the client's familiar with other techniques, such as um, uh, the lean startup methodology or um, the uh, agile methodology, also known as scrum methodology of, of program management, we put it in those terms and it, it comes down to the essence and this is what we educate our clients on of understanding the core functions that their product has to have and mm -hmm. perform at. And uh, in, in Six Sigma methodology, it comes down to uh, three, three types of, of functions or features, new, unique, or difficult. And we say, we're going to target those. We're going to target the heart of your system. 
and uh, tackle those core difficulties first so that all the ancillary items will, will can be can be handled once the core functions are taken care of and that makes for a smooth moving project and they usually appreciate that they understand it does two things for them they they understand that we get what is difficult and by telling them that we're going to get to the core of their system it tells them we're going to try our best to understand the core of their system not just because they tell us what they want but because we have to really dig in and and you know be as or more knowledgeable than they are about what we're developing for them. Mm -hmm. So it's often you, you've talked, you and I talked a little bit before and talked about how it's, you know, the whole six Sigma approach is often associated with, you know, quality and manufacturing. Um, how do you, right. you know, walk through, you know, making that um, transition to design uh, you know, with them. So I know you don't, you not, you hit them over the head with it, correct? But, you know, you, <clears throat> I'd hope not, right? Take a barbell. Right. <laughs> so um, with, with clients that understand it, they understand that it's define, measure, uh, adjust, um, and, and qualify. Um, and we say we, we do that, but we do it before we have a product made. We mm -hmm. define the functions. We, we define how we're going to measure them. Um, so with any medical device, you have all these functions. You have sometimes dozens, if not hundreds of, of functional specifications that you have to meet. Mm -hmm. And for every single one of them, the FDA wants you or, or requires the company to show that they have met it. So by saying how we're going to measure that function in the beginning, we're actually setting up for a smoother design verification phase down the road. I can't tell you how many projects I've been on where, where you know, you, you come into a project maybe halfway and it's like, okay, how are you going to measure that function? And people say, um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and we, I give that example to our clients and say, right. well, we, we have to figure that out up front. And it's not a hard thing. It just takes a little bit of thought. But once you do it up front, then you can start laying the parameters, the measurement and the analysis of it as you go through it. Uh, and again, it's, it's about showing them the value of the approach and it's, it's an approach. It's not a hardened set of tools. And that's the other thing we emphasize, you know, if it's, um, if it's a syringe versus a, um, uh, in vitro diagnostic system, you're going to throw different tools at it at, at a different aggression level, so to speak. Right. And, um, we, we can scale it up and scale it back as appropriate. They they usually appreciate that. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Well, because it sounds intimidating, right? I mean, you know, because because right. you're you're asking for testing and how you're going to test for something that in some cases the the problems that you're solving haven't been solved before, right? So so um, you know to to think about testing and and how you do that or measure success sometimes that's a challenge. How do you you know um, how do you help quell their fears about that or you know, give us a couple of examples of, of times where, you know, a client maybe had thought it would be really difficult to measure that. And then you're like, well, hey, if we just did X, Y, and Z, then we'll get, you know, this result one, two, three. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of not to put you on the spot or anything, you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, like, you know, let's give, let's, uh, let's give the people what they want, you know? Right. Uh, I'll give you the example of um, uh, a syringe system we've developed called Symphony. 
uh, it's just to dispense a powdered medication to uh, a child, um, direct uh, oral delivery. So it's not being sprinkled on food or anything else. And um, the, the, the clients want us to measure dose accuracy. And so we, we sat down with them and said, okay, well, you have so many different ways of actually measuring dose accuracy from a syringe. You've got the ISO standard for a liquid uh, hypodermic syringe. You've got um, the USP standards, and there are a few different USP standards for, for measuring accuracy of a drug product or a drug product from a delivery device. And we, we laid them out and said, here's, here's the area we have to deal with. We have to know which of these we're, we're talking about first. And so we had that conversation and we, we had the specifications put out ahead of time knowing which of these specifications our clients would have to take the syringe and show they pass. Mm-hmm. So it started with the, the client saying, we need 10% dose accuracy. Like, great. Is that 10% by weight? Is it 10% by volume? How do we, is it a statistical 10%? Is it an absolute, you know, data set and nothing can have a data point out of 10%. Uh, so we had that conversation and um, chose the appropriate way to do it upfront. Um, and that was a start. From there, we were able to show that using those measurement techniques, we were able to apply the statistical techniques, the tolerance analyses, the manufacturing variances modeled into the uh, CAD and into the the device and prove in our early design reviews that this system will meet what you you want out of it. That's pretty intense. And <clears throat> that's um, now delivered to, to market, correct? It is. Uh, it is. Um, we have uh, pre-orders. Uh, this, the system's going into clinical trials this year. Mm-hmm. And um, many pharmaceutical companies have been able to get their hands on it and, and start doing their own dose accuracy. Uh, but it all started with um, the system design and, and the requirements for dose accuracy being up, understood up front. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned something, it, it was pretty intense up front, um, but that intensity in, in the case of this syringe, and this is one of the core tenets of Design for Six Sigma, and we, we apply to all of our, our product development, dosing accuracy was one of the most difficult functions, and in this case, it was both a difficult and unique function of this type of product. So even choosing the architecture, even choosing a syringe shape uh, versus other possible methods of dosing was chosen because of that core need for dose accuracy into a child's mouth, not Mm -hmm. dose accuracy into a Petri dish, not dose accuracy onto a scale or into food, but actually delivered into the child's mouth. And that set the program um, on its path and a successful path at that. So you talk about that path, right? And you talk about, you know, the approach where, you know, why, why does a design firm, a creative design firm, somebody that, you know, is really at the forefront of innovation in terms of design and ergonomics and, you know, the latest technologies and trends that are there with the ability to meet, you know, the needs uh, for folks that are coming up with solutions to problems that most people don't know exist. You know, what's, um, what's the benefit of a creative design from like HS Design and, 
and, and uh, you know, an expert like you um, with these types of uh, certifications and methodologies, you know, what, what does that give to the client? Like where, where do they see the benefits? Is it, is it going through the process or is it in manufacturing? You know, where do they, where do they end up seeing like the true benefits of it? The first chance that they usually get to see the true benefit is if they allow us um, or they do it themselves to bring some of the early concept products to a formative study. Um, as you know, HS Design has a very strong human factors arm to it um, and research arm. And so we do a lot of formative studies and at the end of the programs, the, the uh, summative usability studies that, that the FDA will, will see eventually. But they really start seeing the benefit as soon as that product gets into the hands of the fir very first users. So you can imagine, you know, a, a project starts and you, let's say you have a uh, drug delivery device. I'll use that, mm -hmm. I'll stick with that example. And you have to get uh, this very viscous fluid in, in, in one of the examples uh, to a patient. And the creative folks have all these ideas. And you can imagine a whiteboard or, or a post-up board with dozens of different, very creative concepts, some very different from each other. Mm -hmm. Well, you, we have the human factors element to bring it in. But when, when the, at the end of the day, once we've understood why this device has to exist and what it has to do at its core, dose accuracy, handleability, portability, whatever it might be that makes this product valuable and useful to the client and the patient, we get to start pairing out architectures that won't satisfy it. And we're really looking at the, the system architectures, the, the basic concepts that we think are going to uh, really satisfy the, the purpose of the product being. We prototype them and we do an early formative study. And that's where if we've done our job right and we've looked at the, the really difficult items and, and nailed those first, those formative studies go very smoothly. Mm -hmm. um, often cli our clients will see, you know, three concepts and, and most, you know, all three could be very different, but they'll all be to a certain level acceptable by the user. And then it's a matter of preference. Then you can start looking at it, which is going to be cheaper to manufacture, which will be branded better, uh, which is going to fit their portfolio better or their look and feel better. And, and that's, that's a better choice to make than saying, wow, we, you brought, let's say, five different concepts to the formative and really only one of them had any semblance of acceptability. That, that's what we're avoiding by bringing the, the Six Sigma methodology in the very front of the process. So this is before we even put numbers to it. It's that mentality of, of core functions, what's going to be difficult, get those done first. And the client sees that the first time, uh, even the first user study, um, is complete. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it seems as though it certainly makes it more efficient. It, it, it also gives um, the client the opportunity to, you know, start seeing a return on their investment if they've, you know, looking at, if they're only looking at uh, qualified, you know, solutions, right? So that's a, those are huge right. benefits. Um, and that certainly separates HSD from a lot of uh, other design firms that, that like you said, go about it, you know, in a different way. And, you know, to that degree, do you use other processes, you know, that, <clears throat> that help, um, we, help we clients go through things like this? 
Uh, we do, and they're complementary. So uh, I had mentioned before the um, Scrum methodology, uh, also known as Agile, if anyone's heard about Agile programming uh, in, the, in the computer world, we, we apply a similar method to how we manage our projects. And um, that method really fits well with the, the Six Sigma methodology. You know, the Six Sigma methodology is about identifying those functions and then getting metrics behind them and figuring out how to hit those metrics properly. Um, the, the Scrum methodology is about understanding what has to be done and knocking off sort of like a to-do list in a, in a methodic way uh, where, where you get something done and you know it's done, you know what done looks like. That's a big part of, of Scrum methodology. So if it's writing a, a subsystem and knowing that subsystem works perfectly in code, or for us, if it's building, say, a, um, a tube clamp, and knowing that the tube clamp is solid and, and it works before you put it into a, a larger system, um, it, it fits the design for Six Sigma methodology of knowing when it's done and knowing mm -hmm. if it's good enough. And so the two really mesh well. Um, the, the other method that we use, and I mentioned that before, is uh, the Lean Startup methodology. Um, and a really a core tenant of the Lean Startup methodology is the minimum viable product. Well, when you look at the definition of the minimum viable product, sure, it has market acceptance and everything uh, like that, but it looks at stripping away all the other unnecessary features and bells and whistles and getting to the core of a product. That's exactly what we do with the Six Sigma methodology is getting to the core of the product. And in the Lean Startup methodology, you build that minimum viable product, you test, you learn, you iterate. Mm -hmm. With Six Sigma, it's very sim similar. You get to the core of it, you, you test and you measure and you iterate until you understand what those subsystems are doing. And then you can go out and do the nice to have functions and features. Because when the core is there, you can bring the product to market sooner. Mm -hmm. And um, there's less chance of having to go back to the starting line. And that, that's the other benefit, by the way. It, you know, they, the, the clients see it up front when they go to the user studies and they, they see that the product is going nicely. Uh, but they also see it all throughout the process. And I'll, I'll give you an example of, of how it really helps to prevent a reset. Um, recently, we were working on a, a very complex piece of lab equipment uh, that had to have very, very tight tolerances uh, as it did its, its magic, okay? It was moving things around. It was, imagine an XY table that had to have extreme precision but it also had to be very robust and manufacturable. So we redesigned our client system and really focused on that precision when it needed to happen. And uh, we recently built some alpha prototypes for them and we hit the precision, but there were some glitches in the linear motion. You know, we, we didn't like the bearings that were used. Uh, you know, we, we want to switch brands on the bearings, but that's sort of nibbling at the edges. At the core function, we hit the precision on our first alpha prototype. Wow. And when the client said, do we have a system that will do what we want 
because we just saw you, you know, swap out bearings and things. And we said, absolutely, the bearing is a catalog number we just changed, but the core of the system, the precision is there. So they don't have to hit reset on the design process. Right. Wow. That's a, <clears throat> could you have huge benefits, you know, especially going to market and going um, to market with a, a product that's, you know, scalable to man manufacturability. So that's uh, that must've made the whole team feel real good. Absolutely. Um, the client was happy. We're happy. Uh, and there's, you know, there's still work to be done, but the architecture, what we call the architecture, which is the bones of the system mm -hmm. are solid. Yep. That sounds, you know, really important, you know, as clients evaluate, you know, who to work with and, 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 um, and why, what questions they should be asking, you know, as far as comparing, uh, you know, both design firms as well as other uh, folks within the process to work with. Tell me where can folks find a little bit more information about uh, this element of HSD and, and uh, your approach to working with clients in terms of design? Um, sure. Uh, we don't go into too much detail on our website about the, the exact way we apply it. And, and um, you know, the reason for that is it's different for each client. Um, one way is, is to um, call us or set up a meeting. Uh, we have some case studies that we can dive, uh, do a deep dive on, on, on how it's applied. Um, if they're interested more in the design for Six Sigma uh, methodology in general, um, you know, uh, the, the folks who trained me um, uh, is a company called PDSS, uh, and that stands for Product Development Systems and Solutions. Um, so they're the ones that trained me, and, um, you know, they can, they have some literature on the, the process, uh, or they can call us up and and have a discussion about uh, how we would apply that methodology to their program. All right. That sounds great. Well, uh, Michael, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, last thought on this is uh, when developing a product, when, when, when trying to get our client's system to market, advance it to where a client is happy with it, um, it's very important for us to understand and deliver on the core value of that product. And Design for Six Sigma really helps us do that, not just in the upfront as I've described, but as we get toward the verification, the validation, and the transfer to manufacturing, understanding the value proposition, understanding the functional requirements, we're able to take our prints for the parts and hand them off to manufacturing with confidence. And when we're challenged by manufacturing, say, hey, do we really need this tolerance on that part? That's, that's a pretty tight tolerance there. We're able to say yes, because we understand the function that that affects and it's needed. Mm -hmm. And we're also, on the other hand, able to drop lots of other non-critical functions uh, non-critical dimensions because we know what really matters in the system. And so when we bring it to manufacturing, the critical dimensions are the ones that really matter and we strip away all the, all the noise and are able to focus on, on and, and transfer that knowledge to the manufacturing site. 
so that uh, the handoff goes smoothly and the ramp up to commercialization goes smoothly as well. Well, it certainly allows everybody to benefit from that as well. So, you know, happy clients, you know, make it a lot easier and a lot more fun to go forward too. So, uh, Michael, I appreciate you spending time with me today, you know, teaching me a little bit about um, Six Sigma and design for Six Sigma and, and what that means for, you know, to you and also to, to clients and, you know, how that is a, it can be a huge benefit in the right space. So, you know, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Look forward to next time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, man. This has been the latest episode of the HSDNA podcast. On behalf of our guests today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of HSDNA, go to hs-design.com and scroll over the HSDNA tab on our menu. Until next time, thanks for listening.